Chapter 3 So, why are you leaving the mince pie? Crow dipped another piece of crumbly bread into bitter jam. Lijikai had anticipated the question, but that didn't mean he had come up with an answer. A lie, he supposed that answer would have to be, and it felt exhausting to think of one, knowing he would then have to remember it for Moon's knew how long. And waiting too long to answer would make it obvious he was making his answer up. Visiting a friend. An echo of his own half-lie. Crow's black, thick eyebrows tensed, sinking very low over their bright eyes. Then, to Lidikai's surprise, their face eased up into a lazy little smile. Crow shrugged. Fuck do I know. Their smile lingered. Never heard of Aratuya leaving one of your spies willingly, but... Even if I have met more of you lot than I would have preferred, I do recognize the fact that I haven't met you all. No offense and all that. It's earned, Lady Kai muttered. Crow's expressive eyebrows showed up high. Indeed. They flashed a rare smile, showing teeth. Lady Kai noticed their right canine tooth was missing. The Red Letters was an attempt at strict collected dining, judging by the way the tables were set, the number of chairs, and the fragile-looking glass contraptions on the ceiling, providing complicated light. However, it seemed the clientele was not entirely on board with that direction. There was an undeniable atmosphere of rowdiness to the place, loud laughter or shouting or singing coming from several of the linen-clad tables. The establishment was an enclosed flagstone-covered courtyard surrounded by vines in blue, green and deep purple, dotted with wide-open orange flowers. Their sweet fragrance came in turns of pleasant brightness and stifling cloyedness. The furniture was dark, almost black, wood, deal wood. It got more common the further north you got, Lidikai knew that. Anything made out of deal wood in yellow medrill had been moved a long way. Most of it was from before the Wendrit, which meant that it was still intact. It was either falling apart, stuck in a museum, or being ridiculously fussed over in some corner of a wealthy family's house. Where does the friend live? Crow quickly held up their hands to adjust their question. Don't need to be specific. Further north. Crow nodded, apparently happy with that precise amount, or lack, of specificity. And what are you doing here? Lidikai picked at another piece of the Angali fruit from the large plate of various fruits and seeds in front of them. He was full, but it had been such a long time since he had been able to choose from this many fruits. Crow took too long to answer. Change of scenery. They shrugged, but it looked a lot less relaxed than it had all the other times they had done that. What scenery needed change? One I'd gotten bored of? Crow narrowed their eyes theatrically. Lidikai could have gone along with it, chuckled knowingly, changed the subject. Instead he said nothing. Took a long sip of the rose tea, watched Crow as they actively avoided looking back at the mage. Lady Kai could tell they were fiddling with her tongue inside their mouth. 
poking teeth, perhaps. He thought of how quietly Crow had managed to get the firebox out of his bag, something he kept in a small pouch sewn to the inside of it. Thought further, that whatever Crow was fleeing from, Lydikai was the one who was dangerous to stay close to. What did you mean when you said you had trouble with authority? Lydikai put the delicate little cup down. It had beautiful birds on it, much like the ones adorning the city walls of Kanda. Not going to tell you that either. The smile was more secure now, at least in how smug it was. Lydikai felt a wave of exhaustion rush over him. He didn't care. He didn't have the energy to care. He wanted to sleep. On something that wasn't lumpy or hard wood. When they walked in here, he had seen that the Red Letters was an inn, not just a restaurant, and that they had vacancies. He stood up, wiping his hands on the thick linen napkin. Very well. And this was an adequate repayment for your actions earlier, you said. He motioned across the dishes they had worked through, mostly in silence, Lydica realised. Crow leaned back in the sturdy wooden chair, clasping their hands behind their head elbows out to the sides. Yes, your life looks worth about three fancy dishes and really good tea. The bait was almost unbearably unsubtle, making Lydica realise he'd already come to expect an uncanny guile in everything this Ori did, despite only having known of their existence for about a day. That sentence had been said without a hint of that guile. Lydica calmly put down the napkin on the table. None taken, he said, letting the small smile he normally reserved for the preceptors at Egelin rise to the surface of his face. I'll retire for today. Your room has also been paid for. What looked like the shadow of a protest brushed over Crow's face before the wide smile took its place again. Thanks, Lidjikai. But solitude was not wise at all. Lady Kai's rationality quickly lost the battle with his paranoia, making him pace around the tastefully and impersonally furnished room. The sound of fire crackling behind him was loud enough to make him turn every other lap around. He wondered if it had ever gone away. If he had just drowned it in other things, the speed of the landscape outside the Mender's glass ceiling, the impossible rumble of whatever lay beneath the sands of the Kajiza, the conversations that seemed more like stabs into a dark alley than social interaction, the soundless trips into the dream mist. He stopped, short of breath, thinking that if there was a raging fire behind him now, it better just take him with it. A smell hit again, breaking through the heavy old incense smell of the walls and fabrics in here. Fire, fire trickling through his nostrils, through his sinuses, into his mind, cascading out, rushing over his skin, stinging his founts, pulling them in towards his core, screaming across the surface of him. His body felt as if it didn't fit the skin draped over it, as if it hit the air around him the wrong way, every part of it touching another part at the wrong angle. Wrong, it all felt so wrong, just like it had for as long as he could remember. 
The exhaustion wasn't because of everything that had happened the last few days, although that certainly didn't help. It had become part of who he was. The crease behind his eyebrows refused to go anywhere but further towards his skull. The tension in his shoulders felt as if it was what actually secured them to the rest of his body. The pulses of dull pain running from his pelvis to the base of his skull was the signal for his brain to know he hadn't lost the lower part of his body somewhere. It was what he was used to, but he still knew it wasn't right. Here I am, drowning out the sound of the fire with more familiar things. He sunk down on the bed, sitting on the edge of it. In the end, maybe he should be thanking the exhaustion. It was what always, in one way or another, made it stop. Sometimes by simply sending him into unconsciousness, he supposed. A colleague found him sleeping in a supply cupboard once, and Lidikai had to pretend it was funny when the colleague suggested Lidikai had had a long night. Maybe it had been funny, actually. Lidikai had just not been in a mood to laugh, since he had no memory of how he had ended up there, and for how long he had been in there. Why his arms were covered in burns. Again. Drown one thing with another. Every solution temporary. He lay back on the bed. It was soft, not lumpy. As a useless act of rebellion against himself, he ignored the fact that laying on his back only further shallowed his breathing. The energy to rebel only lasted for so long, however. He curled up on his side, picking at the embroidered colourful flowers on the silk bedspread, watched his bony fingers outside his body, looked at them in and out of focus where they moved close to his face, felt the edges of the row of golden earrings lining his long pointed ear against the soft bed. What would he do when they caught up with him again? If that last encounter was anything to go by, he was apparently prepared to defend himself. The only way his magic knew how. Too much, too hot, too everything. As a student, all his training had been learning how to rein it in. He had been determined to manage. He managed enough, or at the right times, in the right ways, for it to seem as if he had gotten it under control. He graduated. He got offered a position as a researcher, as a teacher. All the while, with his own voice echoing in the back of his head, telling him that he was an idiot for thinking he'd be able to hide it away forever. It was just a matter of time. Well, if he hadn't been extremely fucking right. He got too close to the memory. The bright light of the inferno pouring out of him flashed in his mind, the eyes of the crowd around him disappearing behind a wall of flames. The heat rose to the surface of him, twitching him off the bed before he could set the entire bed on fire. He hit the floor bones first, wincing at the sensation, but thankful for it for acting as somewhat of a launch out of the past. Maybe he should just sleep here, on the floor, where he felt as if he belonged. Where the body hurt against him, where at least it felt present. Where the smell of burnt wood would reach him before everything was engulfed in fire. 
where he could lay and pretend something real had happened to him, something other people would understand when he talked about it. Oh no, I hurt my knee and now I can't stand. Chucks, headache. By the moons, if that isn't one poor back which makes me lie down on the floor. Luckily, it's not an intrinsic part of my being I can't renounce or control, which makes me feel as if I'm drowning in myself. Lucky it's not something I don't understand. Lucky it's not something I need someone else's help with. Lucky I'm not running out of time. Something woke him up. At first it was part of the dream he forgot as soon as he realised he was awake. Then it shot through the room like an alarm. Someone was practically hitting the door. His heart did its best to match the beat of the knock both in force and speed, which was not exactly conductive to a pleasant existence within his body. Sluggishly he pattered around the bed for something to drape over himself. He'd fallen asleep in his simple black linen shirt and trousers, and had at some point apparently pulled the covers over himself. Sleep gels vibrated across his skin. He finally caught the rough texture of his robe. Painfully bright light, compared to the moonlight dark of his room, hit his already squinting eyes as he opened the door. He almost closed it again by sheer realisation of how fed up he already was with the entire situation, whatever it was. But then he caught sight of the face outside his door and the flicker of the lantern hanging from a pole in their hand. Wide eyes, dark skin, ashen, a shiver to their wide lips. Lydikai recognised the Ori as one of the people working at the inn. Excuse me, Masa, she stammered. You know magic, right? Her eyes swept across the founts on his face. He almost rolled his eyes, but both his headache and the shaking urgency with which this Ori spoke made him stop himself. He grunted something vaguely affirmative in response. There's someone in the other room, I think. I think they're very hurt, the Ori continued, ending on a shuddering breath. I'm not a healer, Lidikai said curtly, momentarily wondering if anything he knew was ever going to be useful outside an institute. I know a little such magic, though, he added, definitely not emphasizing the word little enough. Theori's shoulders sunk. She exhaled with a few nods and started to move down the corridor. After a couple of breaths of considering just going back in and closing the door again, the still sleep-cold non-healer followed along down the quiet, dark row of doors. She stopped by one which was slightly open into a compact darkness, not looking inside, but rather staring down at the shadows on the floorboards. With a loud sigh, Lidikai briskly took the lantern from her and tried to ignore the tremor of fear that had planted itself somewhere around his sternum. Judging by the inworker's shallow breathing and visibly sweat-damp clothes, whatever was in here was probably quite far from pretty. An irritated huff directed at no one escaped Lidikai as he pushed the door open with enough force to almost send it crashing into the wall, as if he tried to kill his apprehension with forceful motions, because that had always gone so well in the past. With a small shake of his head, he held out the lantern. Everything was ominously still. 
The warm light from the fire seemed unwilling to intrude upon the deep blue shadows around it. Lydikai prepared to see something gruesome at the edge of his vision. His shallow breaths were the only thing heard in the room. He tried to simply take account of everything he saw. The room seemed furnished similarly to his own, all of it the same almost black, heavy wood. Many of the surfaces were adorned with carvings of animals and fruits, a combination Lydikai had trouble deciding if it was tasteless or not. Deep yellow curtains hung at the large windows, fully drawn. As the lantern's light finally reached the bed, Lydikai couldn't stop a startled noise from escaping him. Momentarily he thought the dark shape on the bed was some amorphous shadow, before quickly realising it was blood that had spread out over the pastel lilac bedding. From the edge of the large, dark stain, he followed feet, legs and an entire body, which alternated between looking grey and golden in beat with a swinging lantern. Long, dark hair spread out in the other direction as a continuation of the blood it was laying in. The Ori was on their side, their back facing the door. The blood would have been enough of a thing to stare at, but that was not what Lydikai's eyes had gotten stuck on. Across the shoulder blades of the body was an intricate old scar with a distinct blue-green line running through every healed cut. A hex brand. A massive hex brand. There was no breeze coming from anywhere inside or outside the room, but the lantern in Lydikai's hand still flickered nervously, a reaction to the emotions of the mage holding it. If he didn't act now, he was sure he would stand there staring forever, so he awkwardly, forcefully jerked himself free from the frozen state and walked a few steps to the bed. In the moving light, it was difficult to tell whether the ori on the bed was breathing. The large pool of blood did not come from the hex brand on the ori's back. It was long since healed, and a logical course of action seemed to be to find a source of said blood. Therefore, Lydikai hunched down by the bed, crinkling his nose at the waft of iron meeting him, and placed a hand on the ori's arm. They were cold, but not deathly so. As carefully as he could, he pulled at them, slowly turning them over on their back. For the second time, Lydikai's breathing hitched. Across the entire chest of the Ori was another hex brand, but this one was freshly carved, blood having clotted in some parts of it, in other places running in a slow stream along the sides of the torso. When Lydikai's eyes finally reached the Ori's face, mostly to avoid having to look at the gruesome display on their chest, his eyes went wider. It was Crow. You, Lydikai called in the direction of the door, hoping the inn worker had not left. She peered around the corner of the doorpost, but instantly recoiled at the sight the lantern illuminated. Get me something to clean this wound with, quickly now. The Ori nodded and turned, her half-running footfalls evaporating. A harsh, phlegmy cough brought Lydikai's attention back to the bed, Crow was sputtering breaths, looking as if they tried to stop it every time it happened, flinching at the discomfort it brought. Crow. Crow? Lydikai said, realising it was probably appropriate to try and soothe with more than repetition of someone's name. 
He lightly patted Crow's hand that was cramping around the damp sheet underneath it. You're hurt. I'm going to try and help you. Crow didn't open their eyes, and there was also a sluggish haze to their movements. A low, agonizing groan came from somewhere deep down in their throat. With efficient light steps, the inworker came into the room again, placing a dented metal bucket on the floor next to Lidikai and a dry towel on his shoulder, causing his entire spine to stiffen even more. Without a word, she dotted out the door again. Lidikai wondered if she'd kept her eyes closed through that entire series of motions. He sighed at the lantern in his hand. He needed more light than this. Needed to see what he would have to attempt to work with. Squinting a look around where he sat, he saw another lantern, a bigger one, hanging on the wall. Running back to his room to get his firebox seemed ridiculous and wasteful of time. It was a lantern. He could light a bloody lantern. Disregarding how poorly such things had gone in the past, Lydikai simply ignored the pounding of his pulse, causing all his limbs to tick and beat with it. He opened the door to the little housing of the lantern and placed his fingers close to the wick. It's just a bloody lantern. His gaze flickered to the other one still in his hand. An attempt to tilt it to light the other one would result in oil and flames all over the floor. Just light the damn thing like mages do. Snap your fingers, create heat, light the thing. He saw how much his hand shook, felt the flitting of instability all over his skin. Cursing through his teeth, he pulled his hand back. Ceiling, he waved the lantern in his hand around the room to find something else to make fire with. On a small side table next to the bed, led a book of matches. With a bitter acidic smirk at himself, he noticed that it was hard enough to get his hands to light a match without disaster. Three attempts and one too large burst of flame, and the room was finally bright enough for him to see what he was doing. He sat down next to the bed again, looking at the water in the bucket. It was lukewarm, possibly boiled at some point. Right now, he felt as if he had forgotten everything he had ever heard about injuries, about what was helpful and what was not. He glanced over at the many cuts again. They didn't look unclean, but he knew... At least he thought he knew, that dangers could be unseen. Instructive words from Taran buzzed unclearly in the back of his head, like drum beetles chasing each other. Something about cleaning being important, but only if you knew what you were doing, or cleaning being important no matter whether you knew what you were doing or not. Other words invaded, bits and pieces from lectures he'd only pay at most half a mind to. If you do not guide properly and skillfully enough, your magic will use the energy of the body surrounding the injury to heal. This means you will end up with a dead ori around a very nice patch of healed skin. Preceptor Athlea's wood creak of a voice echoing in his head. Just what he needed. Lidikai exhaled sharply through his nose, watching his hand clench the towel and plummet into the water. This wasn't his job. This wasn't his responsibility. He hardly knew what was driving him at this point, and he noted that he hoped it wasn't simply curiosity. 
because he tried to ignore it. But the sight of the hex woke something up in him that had been running on routine and repetition for ages. Crow hissed dully as the tepid, drenched linen met their skin. Lijikai watched the pale red water spill over their ribcage, mingling with the black of the blood on the sheets. He dragged the towel over the cuts, trying to block out the sensation of little ridges underneath his hand as he did so. He whispered unintelligible apologies to Crow as he went, but it still seemed as if they were still somewhere far off, the reactions to the sensation more reflexive than anything else. Removing the towel, Lidikai felt his stomach drop. From what he could tell, all he had done was remove the blood that had clotted, and now it was simply bleeding more than before. Granting disapprovingly, he threw the towel into the bucket, instantly annoyed at the splashback it unsurprisingly caused. He whispered on an inhale, reaching out to hold his hands half a thumb's height over Crow's chest. He flinched. A dull, low drone sounded in his head as he neared the hexbrand. The skin on his palms felt as if a thousand little fingers were tickling him. He instinctively pulled away, and both the sound and the sensation disappeared. It was far from the first time he was reckless in the face of opposition. The simple fact that the Hexbrand seemed to not want him there made him reach out again. The sensation and noise came back, and he clenched his teeth to bear it. A yellowish light soon spread from the palms of his hands. Stubbornly, he ignored the increasing weight of the sound in his head and the sensation on his palms going from ticklish to prodding. Sharp, like needles. It had been so long since he healed, he was scared he would look down on an added burn on top of the hexbrand. Instead of his founts connecting like buildings catching fire, relentless, unstoppable, they seemed to melt into each other, connect into one big pattern, thrumming across his skin, warm but calm. It collected at his hands, defiant in the face of the painful digging emanating from the hex. Startled, he felt wetness well up in his eyes, making him pull his hands away. He was convinced he would have to start over again, but to his surprise, the cuts had started to seal themselves up and continued their progress even without Lidikai's hands there. Relief made him exhale heavily. He realized he hadn't been sure the strange opposition in that hex would allow it to heal. Soon every cut had smoothed over enough to not bleed any longer. Lidikai clenched his teeth at the result of his handiwork. The scars were jagged, bumpy with cartilage in some places. He really wasn't a healer. He was already off balance, so when Crow suddenly loudly jolted into an upright position on the bed, the tired, frazzled fire mage simply fell off his own heels, landing on his bony arse. Gracelessly, he scrambled to his feet, thankful that Crow seemed busy with patting down their own chest and the bed around them. Lidikai hadn't noticed before, but parts of the linen had large tears. A thick cloak hung by the door. He handed it to Crow. Still wide-eyed and confused, Crow simply stared at the dark green thing for a while before taking it, 
hand visibly trembling. In silence, they wrap the cloak around their body, scooting over to sit on the side of the bed. With a twitch that twisted their entire smooth face, Crow opened the cloak up again and looked at the scars on their chest. Lydikai saw that same blue-green line that ran through the hex on their back was starting to emerge in this new one as well. I am sorry I couldn't manage a more adequate result than that. Lydikai heard his tone was short. He felt out of breath. Crow looked up, eyebrows raised, their fluorescent eyes bright in the gloom. They let out a short laugh. Well, at least I'm alive. Hooray, they said, scratching their forehead. With a grunt, they noticed that their fingers were covered in dried blood. Lydikai was still thinking about how much that hooray had sounded like a curse. What happened? Lydikai asked, crossing his arms over his chest, since it felt as if they hung off his body in weird angles. Crow looked up at him again, grinning now. None of your fucking business, Ratoya. Lydica wished he could argue with that. Do you know that? Crow continued. In the big cities in Dimiri, they say that curiosity is the finest mortal virtue, but only when it's kept in the shadows. They leaned back a little on the bed, but instantly changed their mind, as it apparently caused pain, judging by the flinch on their face. Lydica did know that they said that in some big cities in Dimiri but it didn't feel like telling Crow that. So this is you encouraging me to find out what happened to you without your knowledge, he said, arms straining over his chest. Crow's grin widened, fast enough to almost look like another spasm of pain. Well, you do it well enough, and I won't know, will I? The grin dimmed as Crow gave Lydikai a quick, effective look over from probably fascinatingly messy hair to bare, dusty feet. Lidikai felt that choking feeling somewhere around his sternum flare up again. Though I'm guessing blending in isn't exactly your forte, Crow said as a conclusion when their bright eyes met Lidikai's again. Lidikai again remembered how, in Ailitis, that was exactly what he had been able to do for over three decades. I hope for your speedy recovery, he said, thoughts already racing, both in speculation regarding everything Crow refused to say, and in defense against conclusions about his character. You do that, Lidikai, Crow said when Lidikai was already halfway out the door. He felt nauseous. The short walk back to his own room was undertaken on unsteady legs. What had just transpired was catching up to him, adrenaline leaving one breath at a time, setting everything askew. He climbed into the bed and curled into a little ball, but it instantly made his body feel too present, so he tried stretching out instead, to little different effect. He sat up with a sigh, staring out through the large windows, panes glittering with the dull red of Manarim and edged by the fainter blue light of Kenzaro. Lidikai was processing a striking disconnect. The way hex brands were talked about in the institutes was as elusive, hidden things. If you saw one, it was the last thing you saw, things like that. 
but now he had seen three of them within a few days. He told himself it must be a weird coincidence that this was absolutely not indicative of actual frequency. Hexbrands mocked you as an auger, a mage who didn't comply with the regulations enforced by the Wendred, the accord forbidding certain strands of magic, most notably that concerned with teleportation. His reason for thinking about Hexbrands during his time at Egerlin at all was Taryn. The reports he had paid for had mentioned her having hexes now, in different colourful wordings, depending on the messenger's view of the topic. No one had mentioned seeing her using them in her magic, apart from one Ori, whose statement was so hard to follow and ripe with conspiracy theories, including mentions of the prophecy of colliding light, that Lydica lit it on fire from sheer frustration halfway through it. Regardless, he had sometimes taken an evening or two trying to find out more than his extremely cursory knowledge of hexes through the limited information one could find without privileged access at the Institute Library. One thing had seemed universal in what he had found. Like founts, hex brands were put on someone at one's own behest, made by the practitioner themselves, or by someone else when asked. Lydica had trouble imagining Crow making the hexes on their body. Nothing supported that. They were so large, and in angles and places that would require a lot of telekinesis and mirrors. Crow had no founts for the path of telekinesis. No founts at all. Even if it wasn't impossible that they had made them themselves, it was exceedingly improbable. In an aside to himself, he added that he knew absolutely nothing about this Ori, and that it was very likely that everything he assumed was wrong. That didn't stop his mind from continuing its tumble down this hill of speculation at all, though. He felt as if things were coming loose at their foundations, and he wasn't sure what to do with that, but to keep moving. If nothing else, he was running from the collapse. There was another thing. And when his brain seemed to have run out of things to fret about, that thing was suddenly impossible to not stare straight at. Maybe he could help. He should leave this alone. It was clear that Crow didn't want anything to do with him or his meddling. Then he thought about what had happened on the Mender the previous night. Crow had sought him out then, hadn't they? Immediately he re-examined that memory, instantly unsure whether that had been the case or not. And yet, he realised it was a tiny stretch of the truth to say he could help. But it was on his way to someone who might be able to. If anyone he knew could offer insight on Crow's hexes, it was her. She used them herself, she must know more. He thought of his own very inadequate attempt at healing Crow. The Ori seemed to be very good at deflecting emotion. It was logical to assume the flippancy was feigned. The more Lydikai thought about it, the more he felt as if he even owed Crow some help for that whole thing. And Taryn just so happened to be, at the foundation of everything else she was, a very talented healer. The smell of fire hit from nowhere, and he clenched his eyes shut at the heat rushing over his skin. No. 
he breathed out, shaking. He was running out of energy to calm himself down. He was running out of strategies. He was unstable, had always been. That had been the one constant in his education, ironically enough. Practice your control, rein it in. Don't be so eager to indulge. Lidjikai, it is dangerous and unbecoming. You scare the other students, you scare your colleagues. You're so talented and yet you waste it. It was not for lack of trying that he kept failing, although many of the demanding, threatening voices around him insisted that was the case. What they saw as talent was just what he had always known. It had just been who he was. To the teachers and later colleagues of the institutes, there was one solution to every problem. Reaching abstraction. Lidikai unconsciously sighed, just thinking about it. No one seemed able to even decide on a definition of the term. There were entire tomes dedicated to just trying to describe it, describe the term. Lidikai supposed it was easy to suggest a solution that could basically mean fucking anything. Some said abstraction mainly had to do with connecting emotions and magic. Others suggested it was the ability to abstract multiple meanings from words and use a similar way to multiply, connect, and enhance your magic, hence the name. Telegikai was just another headache, but one that kept being dangled in front of him as something that would help, but no one could help him reach it, or even properly describe it. And he was still berated for not trying harder to figure it out. He sank down on his back again. Taryn had always sneered at abstraction, and had always been good at finding solutions to the weirdest problems. She wouldn't be yet another one to suggest he try his hands at something indefinable. He'd not been this volatile back then, around her. Or maybe he had been. The more he tried to remember it, the less clear it became. The one thing he seemed unable to forget, however, and simultaneously the thing he tried very hard to ignore, ignore more than body, more than eyelids, more than crows' hexes, was the fact that it was very likely that Taryn would never want to see him ever again. Morning, Crow said, backlit in the morning light. Lidikai wished he had looked in a mirror. He couldn't remember the last time he had wished that. As inconspicuously as he could, he rubbed his chin in case there were any remnants of the drool he most certainly remembered waking up in. The fact that he had only slept for a few hours was something he felt in his entire body. I need to apologise, Crow continued before Lidikai could greet them back. For yesterday, I was a little rattled. They gestured towards the direction of their room. Uh, that is very understandable, Lidikai said, happy he had managed to produce something that sounded reasonable. His eyes refused to open entirely, and the stinging in them made the ori in front of him look even more annoyingly awake. Anyway, thanks, Crow said. That's, um... Yeah, no, that's pretty much what I had in mind. <laughs> 
hopefully the rest of your stay in Kanda will be a little less bloody. They gave Lidikai a small bow and turned to walk away. N no, wait. Lidikai pressed two bony fingers against his eyebrows and his head instantly went spinning from the combination of pain and relief. He heard that Crow stopped and turned. You okay? Yes, I am. I am fine. Lidikai said, removing his hand from his face. Uh, I have been thinking for most of the night. Not about what happened to you, mind. He added the last part in response to Crow's raised eyebrows. But still, I think I might be able to help you. As soon as he had said it, he heard how ridiculous it sounded. He didn't actually know anything about Crow's situation. Judging by the unimpressed smirk on their lips, Crow was thinking something similar. Presumptuous much? They said with a small chuckle. I'm sure everyone outside your apices seem like helpless... little... The worst trailed off as they looked down towards their chest. Crow was wearing a high-collared, sleeveless shirt which covered both of their hex brands completely. However, it did little to cover them when the cuts started to bleed through the dark purple fabric as it did now. Fuck's sake. Crow whispered in a strained voice, turning on their heel, jogging towards the room they were staying in. Lidikai stood motionless in the very bright, increasingly crowded corridor. Ori were moving past him on their way to breakfast, he guessed. It took him a while to realise he should probably go after Crow. The door to the room wasn't completely closed, and Lidikai could hear Crow cursing under their breath inside. He let three approaching Ori pass before he spoke into the small gap. If we overlook my previous presumption, do you need any help right now? There was no immediate response. Then he heard a quite loud crash, and both recent and unsure social behaviour had to make way for alarm. Crow's cursing was loud now, and when Lady Kai stormed in, shutting the door behind him with a too loud slam, they were trying to get up from the floor. Oh, Diara! Lady Kai interrupted his forward motion at Crow's loud swear and stood in the middle of the room, hands half outstretched, trying to make sense of what he was looking at. Crow managed just fine to get back on their feet, and did so while shaking their hands, splattering the floorboards with small droplets of blood. Pieces of a broken vase lay on the floor around them, next to a small toppled-over table. Lidikai had his shoulder bag slung across his body and dove into it with both hands, as much to have something to do with them as to find something to help with. He found two small squares of embroidered linen that he supposed were tiny tablecloths. Two more inexplicable things he had shoved into this bag at some point. He had no idea where they came from. He reached them towards Crow. Crow stared at the fragile-looking things and the embroidered night skies on them. Nothing happened. Neither of them said anything. Lidikai cleared his throat. For wrapping your hand, he said, quietly, already moments from putting them back in his bag, when Crow snatched them from his hand with a monosyllabic, breathy laugh. Without giving the cloths another look, they pressed one of them against their palm and wound the other one around the entire hand. 
I could try and heal that again, if you like. Lady Kai said, nodding towards Crow's blood-stained chest while they were attending to their hand. Yeah, you did a brilliant job last time, Crow muttered in response, pulling their shirt away from the stickiness on their chest with a grimace. Lydica realised it must have stopped bleeding almost completely already, judging by the now half-tried stains. I'm getting the distinct impression that you don't do gratitude, Lydica said. That way you helped me? Get a pat on the back? Oh, fuck. Lydica threw out his hands without any real energy. A long, tired sound escaped Crow as they looked down at their conspicuous-looking shirt. And this was my last one as well. I have a spare, Lady Kai said, trying to stop the last word, but apparently failing. He didn't know why he was so unable to simply remain silent. To Lady Kai's surprise, Crow looked up at him with a more earnest face. See, now you're actually helping. So we have decided that healing an array of cuts across your entire chest was... Not helping, then. Lydikai reached into his bag again, already regretting offering the spare shirt. Not from not wanting to give it away, quite the contrary. But it was gaudy, dark red and embroidered with golden thread in a way that was everything but subtle. It was of a similar cut to the one Crow had on now, sleeveless, with a high collar. Lydikai had many times wondered why he had brought it at all and it had subsequently been stuffed together with all the other useless things vying for space in his bag. Therefore, he couldn't imagine it would be anything but a wrinkly, possibly stained mess. After some aimless grabbing, his fingers met the rough, raw silk he was looking for. While Lady Kai had been occupied with the bag, Crow had tried to get their shirt off themselves without agitating their skin more. Now they stood, facing each other, Lady Kai holding out a red piece of cloth between them. He was currently hoping that the shirt was so wrinkly it came off as a design choice. Crow's eyes widened a little as they saw it. Perhaps you need to rethink your stance on my helping again, Lady Kai said, slowly lowering his hands again. But Crow snatched the thing quickly, as they had done with the cloths. They simply held it in their hand, staring at it. You do realise that this is very likely to get covered in blood at some point, right? They said. Well, all right, Lidikai said, unsure what Crow meant. If nothing else, the colour is suitable for that. However, I hope that will not be the case. Of course. Crow's frowns made him want to constantly explain himself. <laughs> no, I mean... It's just a really nice shirt, is all, Crow said. Oh, I... Well, good. Neither of them said anything again. Lady Kai cleared his throat, wishing he'd been able to stop himself. Crow shook their head with a breathy laugh. Payment for your shoddy magic, then, Crow said with a shrug, starting to carefully pull the shirt over their head. Lydica tried to get a look at the hex brand while it was uncovered, but threw down his eyes instantly. It felt like both a violation and simply made him uncomfortable to look at for a number of reasons. It didn't look good, and it wasn't only because of Lydica. 
but it had indeed stopped bleeding completely again. Then what Crow had said sunk in. Pardon me again. Would you have rather I just let you die from blood loss? Crow's head popped through the hole at the top of the shirt. Lady Kai seemed to remember it hanging loosely on himself. It barely fitted over Crow. Another short laugh shot out of them as they threw the ruined purple shirt on the bed. The sheets had been taken away and the smeared, dark stain on the now naked, blood-drenched mattress looked up towards the ceiling like a morbid question mark. Don't be so dramatic. It would have healed just fine under a bandage, trust me. They shrugged. Or just as poorly, I suppose. Sena, the sun, peeked around the corner of some buildings outside, and its light hit suddenly and brightly, shining in through the windows of the room. It made the display with the bloody mattress look even more gruesome. Crow visibly cringed as they turned around and saw it, making for the door before stopping to address Lijikai. Yikes, right? they said, nodding towards the bed. Let's get out of here, and you can tell me about this help you've got for me, yeah? With that, they walked out the door. The Diane's refuge was more of a cellar than a tavern. Had Crow not led the way, Lidikai would never have looked for it, nor would he have found it had he looked for it. The name sign was not even on the outside. It hung over the bar from perilously thin leather straps. Lidikai could appreciate the mocking of such a yellow midoril-specific title as Diane in a place like this. But thinking a little about it, he realized he did not fully know what the implication was. He was certainly was not to paint the title with respect, however. Not that he disliked the place. On the contrary, he felt at ease in the dark, sweet-smelling atmosphere. All tables seemed to only fit two or three chairs, and above each such table hung a simple cast-iron chandelier. There were a few guests, some in pairs or trios, some alone, and conversations were muted. The two of them were now sitting at the table farthest away from everyone else. Lady Kai noticed that Crow seemed to be waiting for him to start the conversation, slowly spinning the ceramic cup with warm mulled wine in front of them. So, Lady Kai said, since you are already used to my help being anything but actually helpful, I'm sure it would come as no surprise that I'm unsure if what I have in mind will actually be of help. Admission is the first step, Crow interjected in an amused mutter. Lady Kai lost his train of thought, or at least doubted the suitability of his starting point. I suppose I should get one thing out of the way first. Are you an auger? Crow raised their eyebrows, smile still on their face. No judgment, Lady Kai added, honestly. No, I'm not, Crow said with a shrug. Then your situation could perhaps benefit from one? Crow's raised eyebrows turned less smug, a face of actual surprise towards Lady Kai. No, no, I am, I am not one, Lady Kai said, shaking his hands in front of him. But I know of one, and maybe she could help you. Though I, 
of course, do not know what your problem actually is, other than the obvious. Which is? Well, Lidikai was convinced that being made to spell it out was another social game for Crow. Since you're not an auger, I doubt you want those hex brands on you. Crow shook their heads softly before taking a long sip. Fair enough, Lidikai, they said as they put the mug down again. Lidikai was fascinated by how Crow always managed to make his name sound as if it weren't anything but a name. If you tell me about it, I should be able to assess whether my friend can help you or not. Mm-hmm, Crow muttered, their smile very unimpressed now. Ugh, fine, they continued, after a few quiet breaths. They leaned in a little closer. There's an ender after me. If there were ever a statement that needed an explanation, that one was it. Despite that, Crow made no indication that they were going to continue. Enders, the entities that brought about the Wendrit, brought about the change of everything. They were not normally things one simply had following oneself around, to put it mildly. There's an Ender after you. Lidikai said, since nothing else came to mind. Hearing seems to be working. Why is it after you? Crow let out their short, breathy laugh. A long story I am not going to tell a stranger. But, sure, I'll give you some bullet points. Ah, uh, it was inflicted on me by someone else. Called herself Serene. Surprise, she's an auger. I pissed her off, she sent an ender after me. Mostly it leaves me alone. Sometimes it does not. They gesticulated vaguely in a direction that might be towards the red letters. The hex on my back is from when it caught up the first time. No idea why I thought now was a good time to give me another. They finished their drink in a long series of glugs. I think that's plenty, as far as anything useful for this situation goes. Lidikai disagreed, but not out loud. Sarvene. Lidikai guessed it was a nickname. It meant power in Kasani, the old language of Medril. Nodding absent-mindedly, he took a sip of his drink, which had turned out to be a lot stronger than he had thought it would be. It smelled like something you could dilute oil paint with mixed with some spice, which he at least respected for trying to hide the chemical taste of the alcohol. I am quite sure my friend can help you with getting more information about the Ender in that case. At least he supposed that was a likely possibility, if the Ender was connected to Crow's hex brands. If the Ender existed. Crow shrugged a little. Very well. And what do you expect in return? I don't... Uh, nothing? Even he could tell that sounded improbable, but it didn't feel like going into explanations about why he was here. Need an excuse to see her again, huh? Crow said with a knowing smirk. That's uh, absolutely not the case. 
very convincing, Crow said, grin wide enough to show the gap in their row teeth. It's not what you think, Lady Kai said, trying to ignore the dull hum of the founts on his arms. He crossed them hard over his chest. You don't know what I think, Ratuya, Crow said, grin tighter. So where is she, your auger? Lady Kai wondered if he, with time, would get used to Crow's ability to switch direction in the conversation in a breath. He hoped so. Chera Mia, Crow flinched. That's, mm, well, that's in Dimiri. Geography seems to be working, Lady Kai said. They clicked their tongue, pleased. And how do we get there, then? Can you fly? Sprout wings? They gasped. A mischievous glint suddenly in their eye. Oh no! Are you going to suggest teleporting? You know, even I have a limit, Lidjikai. Lidjikai couldn't help but sincerely doubt the last sentence. He also couldn't help laughing a little. I may not know what I am doing all the time, but I haven't gotten to the point where I forget which actions lead to a lifetime behind bars yet, he said. A sting of panic flared up in his neck, burnt wood staining his nose. Not entirely true, was it? I'll be sure to let you know if I notice any warning signs. Warning signs of accidental teleporting. Of deliberate breaking of your laws, Crow said with a grin that instantly turned the conversation from strictly light-hearted to confusing. Well, anyway, Lady Kai said a little too loudly for the quiet mood in the tavern. He stood up, checking that his bag was still across his body. I suggest we first make it to the other side of the mountains. There must be many carriages travelling through the chain, he said. Then we can see the planning our route in more detail, or learning how to teleport. Crow joined him in moving towards the stairs up to the daylight. They chuckled a little, nodding. I'll start making plans about keeping more ribs of Calopis at bay then, just in case.